Welcome to the Digital Skills Podcast. My name is Agnes Mulvani, and I will be your host and moderator. In this series, I have conversations with people who want to help more young men and women in Africa become creators and owners of their own future. If this resonates with you, subscribe to Digital Skills with Agnes Mulvani and share the podcast with someone who needs to hear it. My second podcast guest is David Gaynor, and I'm so excited to have him on this show. David has a brilliant mind with an exceptional heart. When I first met David, what struck me about him was his uber passion to bring out the best version in people. He is super talented and is constantly seeking to improve himself, whether it's running a full marathon in under three hours or teaching code or helping startups build complicated products with simple code. David is just an extraordinary person. And David is a software developer, business owner, and business coach. He has worked in different contexts, both emerging and developed economies. This includes Japan, where he lives right now, China, Kenya, and US San Francisco Bay Area, where he is from originally. He speaks multiple languages, including fluent Mandarin. David and I used to work together in Andela. Back then, David was the director of product, focused on moving learning into a tech-empowered future with products like Classadu, a tool used to scale mentorship for software developers, which he built with his partner, Andrew Hine. Just to give you a sense of what David likes to work on and how his mind works, I'll read out the statement on his LinkedIn page. In his own words, he says, my ideal job would be making rockets in 1968, but building the future of product development in 2020 is almost as good. Fascinating. Welcome David to the show. Thanks Agnes. Great. Um, so yeah, David, I know you were in, you lived in Kenya and now you're in Japan. Um, and the last few months during COVID has thrown into shop focus, the digital divide and the critical need for connectivity to access essential services like education, healthcare and work activities. Um, David, having worked in different contexts and environments, I think you have some really good insights. Um, could you share some of those insights that you have gleaned from your experience that could help us close the digital skills gap? Sure thing. Um, first of all, I thank, you, thank you again, Agnes, for hosting me on, me, hosting me on this. Um, your ability to introduce people is really impressive. I need to get you to like, uh, do my introduction for more like different things. You can like write my introduction for my resume and stuff. That was amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but this is all uh, you. I mean, like there's so much to say about you. Honestly, I feel like I left so much out. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, you made me you made me impressed by myself. So that I think that's a big success. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, in terms of, in terms of like insights that I can share, uh, like you mentioned, I've, I've worked in a couple of different contexts in different countries, um, and also a different, within different domains, both in engineering and business, 
um, product development, marketing. And I would say one of the biggest insights I can share is really this like anybody can be a product builder. I know that it's been said many times before that anybody can be a coder. And that's an ongoing debate that like anybody can be a coder or anybody, everybody needs to be a coder, an engineer. And I'm not going to take a stand there. But what I will say is that anybody can be a product builder. And by that, I mean that anybody with or without code can build a product that they envision. I think that I... I think that with the tools available today, um, you can create an experience for users without being a developer. Uh, and that experience can be compelling, it can be powerful, uh, and it can be created with one person who doesn't necessarily have a background in engineering. So I'd say like, that's one big insight I've learned uh, or I've kind of gleaned over the last few years. That's, that's fascinating. Um, and I like what you said about the fact that, you know, we need to have the, the conversation needs to be more about product building um, as opposed to being a software developer or not a software developer. Yeah, definitely. That, that I would say is, is something that it took me a while to understand. And once I understood that, I was able to help a lot more people start to, yeah, basically realize their product potential, I'd say. <laughs> Great. Um, so today, unemployment in Kenya is at 38%. And in many parts of Africa, the unemployment rate is maybe similar, if not higher. In your view, what are some of the immediate digital skills and resources people can learn mm. and monetize? I know you've spoken about product building mm -hmm. um maybe just share some um some examples of what resources people can access uh mm -hmm. that would essentially give them help them begin to either upskill themselves in either becoming a product builder um, or access other skills, tools, and resources that could help them either start their own businesses or become more employable? That's a great question. Before I dive into the specific tools or resources, I think it's helpful to, to kind of lay out the two broad categories, I think, um, into which most of these valuable tools fall. The first category is basically expressing some product idea. So no matter what you're doing, whether it's coding or designing or even product managing and putting tasks into a backlog, at the end of the day, you're trying to describe a product and you're trying to describe it in a way such that something else or somebody else can build it. In the case of a coder, you're describing it in code and the computer will build it. In the case of a product manager, you're describing it in words and engineers will build it. But at, at the end of the day, we're trying to describe products. Um, on the other side of things, it's understanding products that already exist. So this is like understanding how a product affects the user, how a product affects a large number of users. Most of these, most of these tools to understand products are grouped into this category of data things. Um, 
But at the end of the day, the goal there is to understand an existing product. So express and understand products. I think these are really the, the two big um, kind of areas that are going to be grow, like super important right now and will continue to grow over the next 20 or 30 years. Um, and I think that there's a lot of tools that are coming up to better understand and express products and a lot that have existed for a while. So outside of learning how to code, which I think that, again, doesn't need to be everybody's goal, um, there's many other ways to express products. There are new tools that include like no-code tools such as Autolo or Webflow or Bubble. These are simpler, I'd say, much faster to learn than learning a full programming language, but can let you express and build most of the products that you care about. Um, on the kind of like next level down, I suppose, um, there's a bunch of design tools that are way easier to use and cheaper than ever before. So Figma is a tool that lets you make mocks, um, like high fidelity mocks for products. So it lets you make, basically build what a product will look like and make it exactly the way you want it to look. Uh, it's very cheap. In fact, it's free um, for most use cases, uh, runs in the browser and is very powerful. And if you learn that, not only will you be able to design your own products, but also it's an extremely marketable skill. Um, and then one step below that would be, again, coding. So like actually learning how to code and, um, and there's a ton of free resources to help out with doing that. I think that my favorite, you know, I guess when people ask me about learning how to code, the, the main thing I try to emphasize is that like the curriculum you choose or the program you choose to learn it will matter much less than the structure you set up to keep you accountable. And so in that way, I'm a big fan of free code camp, which lets you, helps you, um, you know, by keeping you accountable. But of course, also uh, Andela's um, African network is really, really good as well in that it also keeps you accountable, but just finding some way of um, being accountable is a great, is a great kind of great resource for all of these tools, no matter what you're trying to learn. So that's again, on the expressing product side, if you want to understand products better, there's a lot of great data tools out there to learn. Um, they're a little bit harder to learn because they cost, they cost a lot to use generally, but, I'd say a good place to get started is to build a simple website and then analyze it using Google Analytics. Google Analytics is free. You can plug it into any website, um, including like Wix websites or uh, Squarespace websites. And then if you mess around on the tools in Google Analytics, you can get a pretty good sense of how like a real data, um, data scientist would operate within a company. Thank you for sharing all of those resources. So we've heard about Autolo, Bubble, Figma, which is um, free and a marketable skill, coding as well. And I really like what you said about, you know, ensuring that you've set up the right structure or you're part of a community like the Andela Learning Community to keep you accountable. And we have seen that community learning groups actually accelerate the velocity of um, learning and growing skill sets in a manner that I am actually really astounded the, at how people are learning really fast when they participate in a community setup. 
Um, moving on to our next question. Um, I really like the fact that you are a strong supporter and advocate for diversity and inclusion in tech. Um, I read your most recent blog. Mm. By the way, just to let you know, I've been reading all of your blogs because <laughs> I think that, you, you, I mean, like the way in which you see the world and the way in which you're expressing your thoughts is really profound, um, particularly during this period. In your most recent blog, you speak earnestly about the emergence of foundational tech boot camps that are now a democratization force, making it easier to become a software engineer. Um, yet we still see a low representation of female engineers, particularly, um, you know, as they continue to advance in their career in software development mm. and people of color. Why do you think this is the case? Yeah, that's a great question. And I like that you mentioned my most my latest blog post because it did, in fact, deal with yeah, those kind of um, disheartening statistics, which is that, yeah, at least in at least in the US, over the last six years, we've seen only a single digit increase in representation of people of color and women within the tech space, which is like, yeah, that's like not not enough, right? Every six years, if you see a one percent increase in diversity, that's like you won't. We're not going to. We're not going to. We're not going to ever be a diverse field. So I don't have all the answers, certainly. Um, but the one I've been re recently thinking about, which I mentioned in that blog post, was actually that what I thought about in the past as a democratizing force, the emergence of boot camps, and basically the deprofessionalization of the field of software engineering may actually be, in addition to a democratizing force for the skills, a force against diversity for employment. And the reason for this is that in the past, um, because the skills of an engineer were difficult to acquire, if you had them, your, your basically your appearance and your background uh, your and personality mattered less to your employer than your skills because your skills were rare and difficult to acquire. But now because those skills are commoditized, it becomes easier for bias to express itself. So when all your candidates have the same skills, the only thing you have left to basically differentiate between them is your biases. And unfortunately, because the field is already predominantly male and predominantly white, <laughs> at least in the U.S., um, the biases that the hiring managers have to like hire somebody who fits in at their culture, existing culture will bias them towards hiring people like that. Um, so I, yeah, I think that the, that's made it a challenge that all the candidates have the skills now. Um, and so the kind of main criteria for hiring ends up being culture fit, which is kind of, while I feel like culture fit makes everybody happy within a company, if there's a strong homogenous culture, it certainly is not good for diversity. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Agnes? What do you think is like a way to beat that? Because, I mean, you've you've also been involved like within Andela. Like you've been, you've been aware of the hiring efforts there. Like, how do you think we can push against these biases? Um, to yeah. build that representation. 
So I I I look at it more so, um, you know, from a female perspective. When I think about, um, you know, like when I look at the number of female engineers um, or women who've gone through, you know, like a, who have like a STEM background, we see a high number of them starting to join school, um, universities. Mm-hmm. But then once they start, I mean, once they enter into like the first few years of their career, after like three, four years, they begin to drop off. And some of the insights and data points we've seen is that when women begin to have families, um, they're not able to balance their families together with the increasing time that's required for them to continue mm. to um, upscale or remain, you know, relevant in technology. And so um, I think that the ability of being able to work from home will definitely help in mm. keeping more women, um, you know, in, in tech. And so together with, you know, now the cost for learning tech is has gone down significantly together with the um, like you mentioned also um, it's becoming more and more easier for someone to learn um, how to become a product builder and so I think these are all facets that would definitely help and play a role. Mm, That makes a lot of sense yeah I, I think back now to my best friend from Twitter when I worked there she Shortly after I left Twitter, she had her first kid, and um, at the time, it was it was like kind of she was wondering if she could stay um, at the company, given like the given like yeah the work was required to to have a family and also to work at Twitter. Um, but fortunately, Twitter let her work from home four days a week, and I think that that yeah. was a that was a game changer for her. Um, right. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so yeah, David, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience? Hmm. Uh, I only that I'm, I'm so happy that you, that you took the time to listen to this podcast and I'm happy, oh. I'm so happy Agnes that you invited me onto it. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been great to chat. Wonderful. It's been wonderful having you on this podcast um and thank you thank you so much uh so my hope is that this conversation sparks ideas that open up new opportunities if you would like to connect further with david you can find his social media handle and web links in the about section of this podcast if this conversation resonates with you drop a comment on my linkedin page agnes mudani or subscribe and share this podcast with other people who may benefit from it. Thank you. And thank you so much, David. Thank you, Agnes. Awesome. Bye.